to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 21, where I'll read verses 1 through 14. John 21, 1 through 14. Beginning, beginning to read then from verse 1, from chapter 21, verse 1 and following. After these things, Jesus uh, showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of, of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two others of his disciples, were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garments, for he had removed, uh, removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in uh, the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a, coal of, a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And though they were so many, though there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, um, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was saved from the dead. May the Lord bless this reading to our, our good understanding. Um, the transparency of Jesus Christ. Maybe as you, as you heard that scripture reading, maybe the Holy Spirit impressed upon you the, the beautiful transparency that shines through the text. As Jesus speaks with them, they're not even sure, 100% sure that it's Jesus. They think it's Jesus. Um, but it's a revelation to them, and they, they're in awe because they saw this man crucified. They saw his dead body hanging upon the cross. They saw his dead body taken down from the cross. And, uh, and now he has appeared to them repeatedly after the resurrection, but without a final clarity. They do not know what their marching orders are yet at this point, or they, they do, what, they, what they have been told that doesn't quite make sense to them. 
when the whole, we, we can know the truth, and yet it's the Holy Spirit that often grants a hold of our minds and, and gives us further insight into what we are to do, how we are to live. And then after we experiment a little bit with what we think God has told us to do, then we either get ratification for that or uh, the Holy Spirit undermines us in our sense of what we are to do, how we are to behave, what projects we're to do, and that sort of thing. So the, the, the Christian life in many ways is an empirical experiment, and yet we, we do get uh, feedback uh, from the way these things work in our lives that, that tell us this is, you know, the, the, I can see the blessings of God in this, or I think I got a little bit overextended. And uh, I, I don't think I understood what, what, what I thought that God was saying to me at, at that time. So the disciples, uh, in terms of, um, of their, um, their lives at this point, they had a, they had a great for transparency. Because, as I said, they had, they had some ideas of what was going on, but they, they, just, they definitely were not marching like they were after Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And they, they see the, these 12 disciples who become 12 apostles, and these men are taking a much greater and firmer hand to the task that they were about. There was a consensus amongst them what ought to be done. And, and even very soon they began to go out in a missionary effort. And uh, some even went as far as India and Spain, they believed, in terms of taking this gospel. But at this point, they, they, they had been through this catharsis, the tremendous, tremendous experience with our Lord Jesus Christ. And, um, and they knew certain things, but they, they definitely were not as insightful as they might be, what, as they were later. Um, and um, they were, the, their mission at this point was incomplete. And so uh, the, the need for uh, the transparency of Christ, and when I say transparency, I, I mean that we see through the, the sort of the ephemeral surface things and we see through to the essence of Christ and his mission, Christ and his ministry, uh, Christ and his cause, Christ and his kingdom. And when you come to the Lord Jesus from the confusion of the world, I just think of how, how I look at how confused we are today as a people. Uh, you know, it's uh, so many things are painful, like the high gas prices, but there's about half the country that doesn't really know whether it's better to pay a dollar and a half less for gas or a dollar and a half more for gas. You know, and it's just some of the some of the confusion that we see about us, whether we really should have an open border or not. These things that you know that we, we, people say, well, there's ten thousand more um, deaths, drug deaths. Uh, can't think of the name of the drug now. Sentinel or fentanyl. Uh, you know, I mean, we see these tremendous things. We 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 see murders and deaths from people that are trying to cross the border. And yet, half the country is basically, you know, they're thinking, well, I'm, I'm, some people are kind of coming to the conclusion, well, maybe this is not as great as I thought it might be last year. You know, but there's, you just see a tremendous amount of confusion. It's like, you know, would you like to have a life with a job or without a job? We are so confused as people. We often don't seem to understand the 
shows them here on this occasion. And, uh, and uh, that's the first point, or the second point, the, the occasion of this, what, what took place here. We see the, the disciples in a kind of state of confusion where they're kind of falling back on their earlier patterns of life. But it's hard to find, fall back on these earlier patterns or feel completely at home or at peace with them when you have been on this whirlwind life and, and ministry with the Lord Jesus Christ in his incarnation. You know, they say it's hard to keep, a, hard to keep the kids back on the farm when they've seen New York. <laughs> and uh, uh, even, uh, you know, I suppose even today with all of New York's problems, that's uh, somewhat still true. But um, in this case, it wasn't New York that the disciples had seen, but they had been taken from these rather simple lifestyles. They were fishermen. And they'd been taken from this simple lifestyle and uh, recruited, selected and chosen by this man Jesus, whom the more he said it, the more they saw, saw, the more they were convicted that this was the Christ. The Son of the Living God, the Christ, the Messiah that had been promised from the times of Abraham and Moses on down through the Bible, and they, these simple men, were of such that were followed him. So he'd been crucified, and then he'd been resurrected, and they 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 were convinced of the resurrection. They're pretty almost totally convinced of the resurrection. And yet they didn't really understand what it meant for them. They didn't understand that as Christ was raised from the dead, so the whole world could be raised from the death of Adam's sin if they would but see the beauty of Christ and put their faith in that, in his righteousness, in his ability to bear their sin. So these men, uh, the, the occasion of what happened here on this day was... Uh, was this extraordinary ministry, and yet the incompleteness of that ministry and all the potential that lay before them. Now, it says in the first verse, I think it is, um, yeah, that, they, that this took place on the Sea of Tiberias. There's some, inter there's some interesting information just about that, because we know it as the Sea of Galilee, don't we? That's the more popular name in the Bible. The disciples had gone on Galilee. There was a storm on Galilee. Jesus came walking on the water in Galilee. Galilee, Galilee, Galilee. Well, here they say, here that's called the, the Sea of Tiberias. And, uh, and this really plays a part in the context of this passage because Tiberias was a, a new, newly constructed city on the west shore, the west side of the Sea of Galilee. It was it was um, it was constructed. Uh, Herod Antipas come came or Herod the Tetrarch. There there are a number of tetrarchies, so it's, that term is less uh, exacting than Herod Antipas. But Herod Antipas is one of the one of the progeny of Herod the Great, who began to rule in this area about 40 B.C. And uh, here we are. Uh, Herod Antipas began to rule in. Uh, the year 4 BC. And one of the great things that he did was he constructed this new city. It was from, almost from scratch. There was a bit of a little rural settlement there, but he, 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 uh, he made it uh, a real, he made it so that it, it became the most popular.
this uh, Jewish philosopher Maimonides from the Middle Ages, or from the early Middle Ages, Maimonides is buried there because it became such a place of education, an education center as well as a government center. Now it was built in honor of Caesar Tiberius uh, by the Herod, the family, Herod Antipas in this case, and it's in, it was in the, he had a, his tetrarchy was in the north, in Gal, the Galilee region. But you know, what what is different about this is that most of us, when we think of Galilee, we think of it as this rural sort of outpost far away from everything else that was really important in that day. But from the time that Tiberius was founded, they had uh, they had theaters there, they had uh, sporting events there, they had libraries there, they had a school there, major school there, and uh, and so uh, this this came to dominate the the, the area. And even today, I didn't know, until I studied for this text, I did not know that um, the modern city of Tiberias is the most popular inland vacation place in, in uh, Israel today, in modern Israel, because it's right by the sea, it's a very lovely climate, it's, it's like the Dead Sea, it's down below, it's uh, hundreds of feet below sea level, so it, it, the, the, the atmosphere above it acts kind of like a greenhouse, and so it's, it's lovely all, to, all during the year. So people, whenever they want to take off January, February, you know, July, it's, uh, it's a lovely place to go. So uh, this happened in this area that was, now they, they weren't having big uh, Jewish, they, people weren't flowing from uh, Jerusalem in this day to take vacations there. But it was, the, the, you get a sense of the, the atmosphere uh, around this place. And so in the midst of, the disciples kind of sifting through and coming to conclusions about what their life was to be like, um, they were out on the Sea of Tiberias, and the, the sea is only um, you know, about 25, 30 miles long, so it's, uh, it, was, it, was, it had come to really be dominated by the Roman influence in this area uh, from the city of Tiberias. It was built in honor of the Caesar, but then when the Caesars or the generals came from Rome, they would go to Tiberias because it was this modern city. You know, everything was new and renovated and that sort of thing, and it was by this beautiful area of the sea. So here are the disciples in terms of, uh, terms of the occasion of this. Here are the disciples, and um, uh, they, they, it's clear from the first couple of verses that they really are in a state of confusion. Uh, they were all gathered together, um, and Peter, who's kind of their psychological leader, he says, well, I'm going to go fishing. So all of them say, right, let's go fishing. That's what they've done before, but, you know, again, how can you go back to fishing when, you, when you've been traveling with and being discipled by the greatest man who's ever lived? Think about that. But they knew fishing, and so Peter said, I'm, I want, I'm going to go fishing. So they, they decided they're going to go fishing. Now, um, the problem was that they went out. They, were, they went out at night, and we don't know when, how early in the evening they went out, but they went out at night, and they fished all night long, and they got absolutely I've shared with you before one time about my going fishing in the Adirondacks. I 
we got it, my cousin and I, we got a canoe, we got bait, we got on poles and everything, and we went out and we fished all day long and got nothing. It was only after we came back to land and talked to some fishermen that we found out that the lake was sterile. And that there was no, <laughs> there was no, <laughs> that it was, it was gorgeous, a gorgeous Adirondack lake, lake, pine trees coming down near the water, reaching, reaching over the water, little eddies and streams that you could canoe up and fish everywhere here and there. But it just so happened that the pine cones in that area uh, made the water too acidic. Uh, or either too alkaline or too acidic, I can't remember. But there were no fish in the lake. So, but I remember the frustration. I remember thinking, we should have two dozen fish in this boat, and we have nothing. Now, we enjoyed the paddle, we enjoyed the canoeing, but we also had some fish in play when we came home, so nothing. And then we felt, felt like total, total idiots, and the fishermen told us, well, man, you have to find another lake. Because <laughs> this, this one just doesn't have any fish. Well, we know that Galilee had fish, but the men, they were there, and... Uh, you know, I imagine that they went through different waves and periods of, of, of energy and energetic fishing. And probably there were times when they just got tired of throwing the nets in and getting absolutely nothing. And they're probably wondering, what, what is going on? Well, all of this was part of the providence of God. Because God wanted to show them, and that's the most significant verb in this passage, that both at the end, uh, well, no, in the first, first two verses, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. And we see in verse 17, or verse 14, at the very end, it says, now this is the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Our Lord Jesus wants to show himself to the world. He wants to show himself to us. He knows that we are too dense and too foolish and too distracted by the things of the world to see him as he is. And even as we preach him today and hold up his name, most of the world passes by without seeing, without noticing. But Jesus was concerned on this day to show himself to the disciples. Why? so that they might show him to the world, so that they might take this word of God as it is, and in its fullness and in its application, they might show the word of God to the people of the world. Brothers and sisters, how little do we see and hear when we read the Bible? This must be our great prayer. God, open up these eyes and these ears so that I can see and hear what I am reading. This book is so dynamic and has caught the eyes and the ears of believers since soon after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you come to it without a heart that is uh, yearning for Christ and yearning for the living God, you'll find nothing. And I've read it both ways. I read it before my conversion and I read it after my conversion. Before my conversion, I, I saw certain intellectual ideas. But it usually left me dry. I couldn't read for very long. An hour at the most. I'd study this book and that book because I went to church at the time. I wanted to become, I wanted to make it more valuable to myself. But then once the Holy Spirit had taken a hold of my life, I could hardly read a single verse without breaking down. Because I saw the love of God coming through. I saw the transparency.
transparency of the of the of the Lord in the text of the scripture. And so it was altogether lovely. And so on this occasion, <clears throat> we have the, this need, and we have we have the, the state of the disciples. They're fished all night. They're kind of confused. They don't have any real direction in their life. And uh, they, they are about 100 yards off the shore. It says 200 cubits. And a cubit is about is from your elbow to your tip of your finger, roughly, rough measurement. If you take two of those, you've got a yardstick, basically. So they're roughly 100 yards off the shore. And uh, there's this guy. <laughs> there's this guy on the shore that they don't recognize. And, uh, and he begins to manifest himself in verse 4 and following. Um, he said, verse 5, it says, well, verse 4 says, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, uh, have you any food? And they, they decided to, talk, to answer back to this guy on the shore. They said, No. <laughs> And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Who has this kind of knowledge? Who has this kind of capacity to give these kinds of directions that are not unfruitful or foolish, but very fruitful indeed? So who knows why they did it? I can think of a lot of men that would be out on the boat and they'd make some gross gestures to the guy, the guy on the shore. And you know, uh, in in the Middle East, you go like this if you want if you want to really uh, insult somebody, you rub your finger on the, under your chin. You know, like you know, the curses of the world be upon your head, that sort of thing. But in this case, they didn't. They they took the net and they threw it out the other side of the boat. And then, they knew immediately, and the, the nets were full. Again, who has this kind of power? Who has this kind of creativity? Who is this in touch with nature and the creation that they're able to tell you? Uh, you've been fishing all night. Who, who, who can bring a school of fish? Uh, and this, there, there were uh, 100 I can't remember 140 or 135 fish that was uh, that were there, and they said they were big fish. And if you multiply the the, the number that were caught by, you can't be a big fish unless you're at least three or four pounds. And then if you you know if you when you get up into the these are freshwater fish, and and you can't when when you get up into the five and six and seven pound Fish. Then you're talking about in this country, uh, you know, that's a big bass or uh, that sort of thing. Uh, and uh, and so they went from total unproductivity or from nothing to all of a sudden having everything in their nets. You remember Jesus said in the Gospel of John, I have come that you might have life. And they had abundantly. Our Lord Jesus is so transparent in this. And the disciples, uh, they can hardly they can hardly grasp what has taken place. <laughs> um, 
says that Jesus loved, the disciple that Jesus loved, in verse 7, says to Peter, Yes, the Lord. They only knew, they only knew one person that had this kind of insight, that had this kind of authority, that had this, that had had this kind of effect on them in their lives. And this is the same man that the world had taken and crucified and, and condemned and declared to be dead and buried. But now they have seen him repeatedly, and now John says to Peter, it is the Lord. And here's Peter, this rough-hewn fellow who's very much a self-starter and a leader. He just uh, he puts on enough clothing to look presentable when he gets to shore and just dives, dives into the water. Because he knows, um, he's enough of a fisherman, he knows that the men aren't going to leave the, the fish, all those fish out there, they're going to bring them in. But his desire is after Christ. Because Christ is, the Lord Jesus Christ is the most wonderful man, the most wonderful person, the most wonderful teacher, the, the teacher who, with the most authority and the most love and the most affection the most charisma that Peter has ever known. When Jesus asked him, who do men say that? When he asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And then he asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter's the one that answered, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Brothers and sisters, when you've lived in the, the world of darkness, when your life has been sullied by sin, day after day after day, when you find the opportunity to have all of this cast off, to have all the weight taken off your back, when you find the, the opportunity to be friends with God instead of fearful of Him, it's overwhelming. It captures your whole life. You can't go on the way you were. And so Peter plunges into the water, swims for shore. He's, he's got to see this man It's just, uh, the transparency of the text here is just so unbelievable. Hmm. Um, he's even got a, a fish fry going on the shore already uh, with bread. <laughs> he, he knew in his capacity as Lord and Savior, he knew that he could get these guys to come in off the, off the lake. And he knew he could feed them. And he you know, if I think in the Reformed Church today, if the disciples came into land, they'd want to see uh, they'd want to see the three volume uh, three volume set of theology or something. Jesus is so much more basic than we, and he he's he's happy enough to just feed his disciples some good fish and have a have a fish fry on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias. He's happy to. Look into their eyes again. He's happy to encourage them. He wanted to show himself to them. He wanted to show himself in the sense of showing them who he really was, that he really was the Christ. They had, they had testified that he was the Christ, but what did that mean? Could, could they, in their minds, go all the way back to Adam and Eve and see that the whole creation needed to be rescued and that there was the, this was the operation upon which Jesus was bent? The salvation of the whole creation, according to the, the rules 
of, of the eternal decrees of election and reprobation. But in terms of the earth, he's going to create a new earth, a new heavens and a new earth. And um, our Lord Jesus is so just so practical and so down to earth. Um, he meets, you know, if you want to talk theology to Jesus, he could do that. If you wanted to have a fish fry, he could do that. He was just a hundred percent dynamic man, dynamic man, the, the the fullest and the greatest man who ever lived. And the disciples had been with him for three years, and now all of a sudden, in their laxity and their poverty, he shows up and uh, indulges them with enough fish to to support themselves probably for a month. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful blessings. Well, in summary here. We, if we want to apply this to our lives, we see uh, the, the, in the transparency of this text, in this text, we see the brilliance of the love of Jesus, the brilliance of the power of Jesus, the brilliance of the wisdom of Jesus, the brilliance of the provision of Jesus, the loveliness of the mercy of Jesus. And we see all of this coming out here in this text. Is, is, is the Lord, if the Lord is concerned that we have enough fish to eat or that we have something to eat, something so basic as that, is he not concerned about all of the worries of our lives, all of the crises of our lives, all of the torments of our lives, all of the unknowns of our lives? Is he not, is he not concerned about those things? Of course he is. Let us flee to him and find life in all of its abundance that we might live happily as we were meant to be when we were created in Adam and Eve. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for these Gospels and the way that they are so brilliant, the way that they, if we look at them under the influence of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden they become like three-dimensional life-moving body parts, full-orbed magazines that are not just two-dimensional. They're full of the life and the spirit with which you would have us to walk. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would bless us in this congregation with being lively people like this. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would not let us stop. Oh God, do not let us uh, linger when we are halfway to the goal, when we are halfway to life, when we are halfway to fulfillment, when we are halfway to joy. Oh God, press us on. Help us not to settle for the death of the world and for the partial fulfillments of this world. Beauty after a fashion. Let us have full beauty, O oh Lord. Let us see thee and all of thy greatness and all of thy loveliness. Inspire our lives with us. Inspire the lives of our children. We pray this in Jesus' name, this same Jesus of whom we read this morning. In his name we pray. Amen.